everybody. Welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. We will be talking about the Bad News Bears today, the original, the 1976 version. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my marvelous co-host, Sarah Marshall, and our wonderful guest, Jason Diamond. But first, I just want to let you know that You Are Good is made possible with your support. Thanks so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You get bonus episodes. And also, Sarah and I just did a super fun live stream for our Patreon supporters. We answered questions. We talked about movies. We hung out. Sarah drew pictures <laughs> while we were doing it. It was a lot of fun. We'll definitely do it again. We'll do it for our Patreon supporters. So thanks, everyone, for uh, helping support the show, making this whole thing possible. We really, really appreciate appreciate you. You Are Good is also made possible with support by Knack Factory, a commercial and creative video content production company with offices in Portland, Maine and Nashville, Tennessee, though they do work throughout these here United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. And finally, each of our episodes are accompanied by a playlist of songs that are uh, inspired by the conversation and inspired by the movie itself. You can find that in the show notes. You can find out what songs we think about when we think about the bad news bears. Check that out there. And in case you uh, are not familiar, the bad news bears is a 1976 American sports comedy directed by Michael Ritchie and written by Bill Lancaster stars Walter Matthau as an alcoholic ex-baseball pitcher who becomes a coach for a youth baseball team known as the Bears. Alongside Matthau, the film's cast includes Tatum O'Neill, Vic Morrow, Joyce Van Patten, Ben Piazza, Jackie Earl Haley, and Alfred Lutter. Lutter? I believe it's Lutter. Oh, and I mentioned in this episode, by the way, and I couldn't remember his name at the time, the composer, uh, who is Jerry Fielding. So check it out. Okay. That's all you need to know before we get into the proper episode. You, my friend, are good. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks for uh, making this whole thing possible. We really appreciate you. On with the episode. Play ball. All right, boys. Let's get back to basics. This is a baseball. The object of the game is to keep the baseball within the confines of the plane. Wait a minute. What about bro? You don't think we know what a ball is? I mean, you were great when you were nine, but girls reached their peak athletically about that age. Thanks. Nobody ever stuck up for me before. Well, Lucas, if you wiped your nose once in a while, people wouldn't give you so much crowd all the time. Get out there now and do the best you can. We just want to say you guys played a good game, and we treated you pretty unfair all season. We want to apologize. We still don't think you're all that good a baseball team. You got guts, all of you. Hey, Yankees, you can take your apology out of your trophy and shove it straight up your ass. And another thing, just wait till next year. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Blow it out your bunghole, Alex Steed. (laughs) That's how they said hello in the 70s. This movie, holy shit, back to back, <laughs> with the exception of some things we'll talk about, I'm sure, mm-hmm. is uh, rich in one-liner, beautiful yeah. insults. Yes. 
Oh my God. We're so we're talking about the bad news bears. Yes. The one from the middle 70s. Yeah. The only one, in my opinion. Yeah. With the great, I'm so excited. Me with too. the great Jason Diamond. Hello. Jason. Hi, guys. This is so fun. Oh my God. I'm so happy you're here. You selected this movie. Yes. And I was not surprised <laughs> when you selected this movie. So I've said this on Twitter a number of times. Your aesthetic and cultural beat and interests <laughs> are all things I adore. Oh, thanks. <laughs> With regard to like, sort of like what you cover, who you cover, especially on Instagram, like what aesthetic you are clearly into uh, with regard to many, many things. When I saw the Bad News Bears, when I saw Walter Matthau movie, I was like, yeah, this is this makes sense. Tell us why the Bad News Bears. You know, it's one of those movies that I always want to go back and watch, I think, because, you know, I was born in the 80s and I do feel like there's this like weird thing. The youngest Gen Xers and the whatever we call mm. old millennials now. Geriatrics. Geriatric millennials. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like we all sort of had like this like last sort of gasp of like this weird sort of like lawlessness. Yeah. Like what was acceptable and what. And I think like, you know, our parents' generation would be like, oh, we had it so good. But I'm like, was it? I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm watching this movie, and there's a kid on a Harley Davidson smoking cigarettes, and a little blonde kid just dropping like homophobic slurs and racist slurs. I just kind of wanted an excuse to watch it. And there's just something about Walter Matthau in the summer. I can't. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I, really, I think it just speaks to my uh -huh. own like thick Jewish man. This, like if you watch him in anything he's sweating and he looks miserable but especially movies about the summer are taking place in the summer and in bad news bears he's like kind of comfortable because he's drunk most of the time so it's um mm -hmm. it's very funny you know what walter Matthau looks like he always looks like he needs a tum i challenge you to find even a screen grab of him not looking like he could use a tum if not that like that handful that you shake like this and they're shoving yeah. <laughs> or like just chugging like the, the Pepto-Bismo. Yes. I mean, it's, it's just funny. It's like we've had this real comeback of like mid-century Jewish guys being looked at as sex symbols recently. Mm. That's true. Thank God. Oh, thank, thank God. God. Thank God. But like I am constantly like, was there ever a moment for Walter Matthau? And I'm like, no way. <laughs> there has been a moment for him, for me in my life for like 16 years. So God bless. God bless. God, what a beautiful in his own very specific way, man. Also, Walter Matthau and a face in the crowd. Are you kidding me? Have you oh, seen that my one? God. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, my God. Amazing. King. Amazing. I'm always feeling kind of alienated from my Jewish heritage because I wasn't raised in the tradition or the culture, really. And so I always feel sort of like I'm kind of on the outside looking in. But then there are little moments where I'm like, ugh, ugh. And I'm like, there's something inside of you that's very alive. That's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> Before we jump into Sarah explaining what the Bad News Bears is, Jason, mm -hmm. tell us who you are and what you do. You know, I'm always really bad at that question. Um, I'm a writer. <laughs> I've written a couple of books. My first book was a memoir called Searching for John Hughes. Um, and then my second book was called The Sprawl. And it was a look at how we've always kind of had this idea of like what the suburbs are. And I wanted to kind of get a different look at how actually the suburbs are weird and strange and all the things we imagine, but 
so much stuff comes from the suburbs that it's kind of hard to deny their importance. And uh, my day job is I'm a writer. I write for GQ most of the time and various New York magazine publications and town and country and a few other places. So I'm kind of all over the place. And GQ is the magazine for gangsters who like QAnon, correct? (laughs) My friend and I have decided we are rebranding it as Geriatrics Quarterly. (laughs) Gabby are kind of uh, spearheading that initiative. Beautiful. Yeah. Sarah, tell us, what is the Bad News Bears? Okay. First of all, the Bad News Bears is the weirdest adaptation of Bizet's Carmen that I have ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It gets the first billing in the credits. (laughs) Unless I'm mistaken, the entire score is Carmen. Yeah, it is. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. The composer, by the way, whose name I don't know because it's not immediately in front of me, was blacklisted. George Bizet? No, 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 I mean, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, the, the guy who did the score. The film composer? <laughs> My thing is pretty much anything connected with somebody who is blacklisted is going to be good. Immediately Duh. we're in good shape. I looked him up and I don't have his name and I will remedy that at the intro, but I looked him up specifically because I thought it must be the person who did the score for A Christmas Story because they're oh, very, yeah, very... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any of the not Carmen stuff feels like mm-hmm. a Christmas story, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Anywho, sorry, Sarah. We got really sidetracked immediately. Well, yeah, <laughs> but for the record also, Carmen is famously not even about baseball. <laughs> but it is about bullfighting. A little bit. So I get it. I get it. It makes sense. I can't say why, but it it makes sense and it works. We're going to search for the metaphor. Yeah. That's what this whole thing, (laughs) just an hour of searching for the bullfighting metaphor in the bad news. Yeah. Also, before I jump off this diving board, because I need to add, Bizet invented the word Toreador because he needed a word with four syllables for his song and Torero had three. And I love that. (laughs) I want to be to get to that level. Right. Just inventing words to squeeze them in. Because you're like, Torero, do, 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 do. And he's like, no. Fuck this language. I'm making a new one. This probably just reveals my father's anti-Italian bias, but um, (laughs) my father used to sing that where it ends in, don't shit on the flora, use the crapatora, that's what she's a for. (laughs) No, I'm going to do that. I was saying it in my head and I was like, where did this come from? And then I had a flashback to being like four years old hearing him sing it. I bet it's something they sang, you know, at Fort Benning before shipping out to Korea or something. That's exactly right. He had to have learned it in the Navy. That has to be it. He spent a lot of time in Italy, so that maybe it probably came up. That's fine. (laughs) Wow. Speaking of dads. Speaking of old dads, speaking of dads who throw beer at you when feeling emotionally pressured, (laughs) this movie is about Walter Matthau playing a guy whose first name I already forget, but whose last name is Buttermaker. And don't worry, they say it 1,000 times. Also with variations like Butterworth and Boilermaker. And so Walter Matthau is a down-on-his-luck, formerly great minor league baseball player, never made it to the majors. He says it's because of contract disputes. He might be an unreliable narrator of his own life, but anyway, who is hired by Vic Morrow, Jennifer Jason Lee's pop pop, mm. or pop, because <laughs> he's not a grandpa, excuse me, to coach a ragtag team of little misfits to 
play in the... Oh, no, Vic Morrow's not the dad. He's the evil coach. Yeah, he's the adversary. Excuse me. We have, like, professional dad and drunk dad, and the professional dad's, like, very similar to me, so... The actor who hired him, his last name was Piazza. Ben Piazza. Is he baseball-related? He's not. No. He's just a great actor. So Mr. Piazza hires Morris Buttermaker to coach a team of ragtag misfits who he also sued to get into this very competitive league. (laughs) And it's hard to say why. I'm excited to discuss that. And then the Cobra Kai guy of this film, if you will, is played by Vic Morrow, who's the coach of the Yankees in this world who are sponsored by Denny's and Bad News Bears are sponsored by Chico's Bail Bonds, which is one of the best details, I think, of this whole movie. Agreed. Yes. Also that pizza without the anchovies. (laughs) That pizza hut. Yeah. (laughs) That looked clearly exactly the same for 50 years. Yeah. And then they changed it. And yet at one time they had anchovies. Stupid. Also, don't you love it when you see a business in a building that used to be a pizza hut and you're like, that used to be a pizza hut. Oh, my God. A pizza hut or like an old diner that did the renovation in like 1992 and it has that weird glass atrium. But now it's like an adult film store that only sells like VHS. I love that. You see that when you like drive into like weird parts of like Maryland a lot. I don't know why. That is one of my favorites. I was just in Pennsylvania and like Pennsylvania does not get enough credit for everything that happens in it being insane. (laughs) Like nothing normal has ever happened in Pennsylvania. And yet people never think of it when they think of weird states. They're like Florida. And it's like, well, yeah, but like, may I also say Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Wisconsin is like low key, the weirdest state. (laughs) Yes. Like the craziest serial killers. And Pennsylvania (laughs) in a similar way. Yeah. Also a lot of. Yeah. Hi, serial killer quotient. They're all weird in their own way. But yeah, I mean, you know, and speaking of just like weirdness in the Northeast, I was thinking if I were to give someone a single movie to explain the 1970s, at least from my vantage point as a millennial, just in terms of like mouthfeel, politics, family values, views on childhood, etc. Like I wouldn't show them Taxi Driver. I wouldn't show them all that jazz. I would show them this. Because this is a movie set in a time when you could have a PG rated movie for children in which a 10 or 11 year old child casually says the N word quite a lot. And like to the point of our Who Framed Roger Rabbit bonus episode recently, like I grew up on this movie. Yeah, me too. And I haven't seen it in a long time. I was taken by how any complaint we will bring up aside about things that certainly would not happen if this movie was made today. Mm -hmm. This is a good movie for kids. This is a movie for children that is very very it's like well made in the way that like 70s movies were well made for kids yeah yeah, yeah. it's fucking gritty it's one of those pg rated 70s movies where you're like oh my god ah you know it's like how a dog day afternoon i think might be pg yes absolutely and it's like versions of this start popping up all over the place particularly in the late 80s and early 90s and like the mighty ducks which people love mm-hmm. is like the antithesis of this which is like it's a fine movie that is very careful it's like extremely mm-hmm. careful about what it's presenting to children. This movie, not at all. <laughs> this was the first one of these movies that I watched. I probably saw this movie when I was like eight mm. uh, for the first time. And then a few years later, I saw, and this is 
not a PG movie, but I saw the movie Slapshot, mm. which is also a 70s movie. And then not long after that, for the first time, I saw Over the Edge, which wow. came out in 1979. Yeah. And I saw all three of those movies before I was like 13. <laughs> What is Over the Edge about? Oh, it's, oh. <laughs> the kids! It's it's basically it's the precursor to Pump Up the Volume, where basically like all the kids take over the school. It's Matt Dillon's oh, wow. first movie. It's Matt Dillon's first movie. Yeah, and it's like was hugely influential on Kurt Cobain. Mm. I think it was like his favorite movie. Yeah, the Smells Like Teen Spirit video is based off of it. Right. Oh, cool! Wow. <laughs> and is it kind of like a darker sibling to Rock and Roll High School? <laughs> <laughs> exactly the darkest. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about just like bored kids and like a, a planned community in like Colorado. And mm. but like those three movies, like it's like I was obsessed with them like in the early 90s. And, mm. you know, I didn't pick up on it then, but I knew even as like a little kid, because, you know, you don't like you're not searching for context. You're just like, oh, that's cool. Things are blowing up or they're swearing or boobs. Oh my God, boobs. You know, like all these like things that as a little kid, you're sort of like shocked by. I mean, I still have, I guess, at some points, but but like these movies, like all three of those to me are very similar because they show this sort of like cynicism and like creeping disillusionment. Like people in America are starting to be like, oh, this this place isn't as great as we thought it was. Like mm. things are pretty terrible here. And, you know, like Bad News Bears is the most interesting one because like the kids are just these like jaded, cynical Gen Xers. <laughs> And it's like you can basically see the roots of all things Gen X culture sure. watching them. Wow. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And there's all the little Gen X types. There's the racist, the stats guy, <laughs> Kimmy Lupus, and the girl with the good arm. Yeah. Yeah. The four types. And just like a straight up juvenile delinquent, like a committed juvenile yes. delinquent played by Jack Earl Haley. A basket case, an athlete, a princess, <laughs> and a criminal. And the fifth thing. There's a black kid that nobody pays attention to who's cool as shit. And it's just like, yeah. that seems a little like, you know, eh, I don't know. It's a little weird, but like, it's got everything. It's got all the American tropes you could ever ask for. Shitty white people and no one attempting to communicate to the kids who don't speak English. Like no nope. one. They're just like, there's like, we yep. just never be able to talk Two little immigrant kids. It's got, yeah. I mean, it's got all walks of life in this movie <laughs> and none of them are good. None of them are bad. They're all sort of on an even playing field, except the short kid with blonde hair has the worst temper of all time. <laughs> And is like a little Archie Bunker on Jolt Cola. Yeah. He's Archie the Menace. Yeah. He's like a cross between Dennis totally. the Menace and Mr. Yeah. Wilson. Love that. And then Tatum O'Neill. I don't even know what. She's like 11. She doesn't even have a She has a. She has a job. I'm like, she doesn't even have a job. She has a job. <laughs> she doesn't even have a bra yet. That's what she yeah. doesn't have yet. She's selling maps to guys. I mean, this is like what? Like a few years after Manson. And she's like outside in Southern California, just like selling maps to guys in trucks what could go wrong jason yeah. what's gonna happen it's wild it's not like you know buono and bianchi are driving around that very neighborhood or anything <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right sarah take us there yes so yeah we've got a ragtag team and essentially walter Matthau, the stages he goes through morris buttermaker are I don't care. I just want my check to fondly reminiscing about Amanda's curveball while drinking a martini. A child made him next to a pool that he's making all the kids play 
Such a moment. So chill. So chill, by the way. That martini looks incredible. It does. That lupus kid, his parents must be luscious. Yeah. (laughs) And then he recruits Amanda, who is the daughter of one of his old girlfriends, and also the young Rorschach, who is just zooming around this ballpark on a motorcycle for no reason for the first half of the movie. (laughs) Fascinating. And Alex, you pointed something out about him and Tatum O'Neill last night. Him and Tatum O'Neill are exactly the same androgynous in the opposite direction. For sure. He is a beautiful boy and she is a handsome girl. Like, here's the middle. (laughs) Totally. And I love that. Like, any scene that they're in together where you look at them, like, they don't necessarily look related but they have the same exact thing happening which i really enjoy which is also funny because the movie that i grew up on that i see in this cluster is breaking away which came out a couple of years later where it's jackie earl haley and daniel stern and dennis quaid wow jeez and they're all like townies trying to get out of the town and one person in the group of friends gets really obsessed with Italian bike racing and that's how he gets out. I've never seen that movie. Now I want to watch it. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. Let's do that sometime. Is that from the 80s? 79 or something, right? 79. Yeah. That's like one of the greatest tropes that like you just, it's like, it's not as good today. Like back in the day when you had that, like, I'm getting out of this town, that trope. I love that trope. (laughs) Yeah, from this time in particular. And I the only reason I bring that up is because Jackie Earl Haley went from being this adorable, effeminate child to being so awkward and terrifying in that movie already <laughs> that you can see that eventually they're going to be like, we need to recast Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he was Freddy Krueger. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Let's put Jackie Earl Haley in the game. For a terrible script but he's going to do a great job within it. Not your fault, Jackie. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I love Jackie Earl Haley. He's really just absolutely fantastic anytime he shows up. I love Tatum O'Neill. I'm oh like, my God. boy, does she know from life how to have a shitty dad <laughs> in an acting role. It's so crazy because I just watched like a month or two ago. I saw Paper Moon was on one oh, of the streaming services. The and I'm like, God, Tatum O'Neill really like owned this. <laughs> She earned that Oscar. Oh, my God. Just like I know people will probably be like, oh, boo, you can't compare Paper Moon to Bad News Bears, but I will. And I'm going to say like, yeah, but yeah, those two roles. I love Tatum O'Neill. I don't know what Tatum O'Neill's in now if she's still acting, but she's incredibly special. Incredibly special. Yeah, I love her. And for people who didn't spend their adolescences learning about this type of thing, for some reason, the story goes that Tatum O'Neill won a competitive Oscar for her appearance in Paper Moon alongside her father, the beautiful and terrifying Ryan (laughs) O'Neill, who then (laughs) deeply resented her, vocally, I might add, for winning an Oscar when he didn't have one. His child, by the way, his little girl. Oh, fuck, So that's the situation. And then she was married to John McEnroe for a while. (laughs) Oh, you're like, bro, you really set that up yourself. Like, it's like very much, he's like the living embodiment of like the... DJ Khaled, like you played yourself meme. Like, (laughs) did you not realize your daughter is obviously like a young genius and is going to like steal America's hearts in this movie? I would hope that if I had kids and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have you in my movie. Not only would I want them to succeed, but I'd be like, you're really good. But I guess he's such a piece of crap that he didn't realize that. If you end up feeling jealous of your child, just like maybe deal with it and don't talk to them about it is one option. Anyway, (laughs) so basically Buttermaker, he reunites with Amanda. 
He brings in Jackie Earl Haley. The team starts playing better. We get wonderful lines like this is a baseball. The object of the game is to keep it within the confines (laughs) of the baseball field. And then he starts to get a taste for the pennant. And the low point comes when after they've started winning games, he becomes a more competitive Vic Morrow-esque manager and basically only putting in his good players, being dictatorial about what plays they make and excluding his weaker players, of which there are many. And also when Tatum O'Neill wants him to spend time with her and he's like, no, don't you understand? I don't want to hang out with you, kid, and throws beer at her. And they don't really have a scene where he apologizes or where they're like, let's go fishing, which I guess also is true to life. That's just how it goes. You don't get that. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, they did not resolve it because you know why my dad, who was this character in a lot of ways, sure as hell wouldn't have addressed it, especially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, yeah, mine too. The same exact thing. It's like, that's mm-hmm. why I think I love the movie so much, because mm. it doesn't sugarcoat. It's like she's the bigger person in this. He's like a mm-hmm. child. I love that. I mean, I feel bad for her. Yeah. Mean, but yeah. Yeah. Your pivots were small. Yeah. If they would happen at all. It was yeah. <laughs> or like he can grow, but only within baseball. Yes. Yes. I was also watching this and I was like, I had forgotten how truly similar this is to a league of their own. Oh, yeah. Basically, yeah. where it's like lush grows up, but only in baseball, not in life, just or the part of life that is baseball. Also, in terms of baseball, like I do not understand how baseball works people have tried to explain it to me and my brain just like goes like that was a windows noise (laughs) that was was yeah it was very good (laughs) (laughs) like it just does not want to know it like actively repels understanding how the game is played but like as a hanger for story i think it's pretty much unparalleled and so essentially the low point comes when he gets too invested in winning and the triumph comes when he's like never mind all my kids play everyone get out there and they do their best They almost win and then they don't. And then the Vic Morrow team, the Yankees are like, you know what? You played a good game, you guys. And they're like, shove it up your ass, Yankees. See you next year. And that's the movie. And then they drink beer. Yeah. And then they're given beer as a reward. (laughs) That's the best part. They're all drinking beer. The parents are like, it's cool. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Look, they're 11. They got to figure out what brand they like. All of those kids are a mess now. All of them are a mess. Totally. Just the one like behind the scenes thing I want to make sure we mention before we dive in is to the points of like how this relates to you know, Tatum O'Neill's life is this was written by Bill Lancaster, who wrote the thing. Mm-hmm. Wrote <gasps> the thing. Of course. A bunch of people fighting. Yes. It makes perfect sense. And is Burt Lancaster's son. Yeah. And this is yeah. based on his relationship with Burt Lancaster in a like young sports capacity. Oh, my God. Yep. And also looking at the picture of him on Wikipedia, Bill Lancaster, when he was young and in like a Western, he looks exactly like Jackie Earl Haley in this movie, which is an ah. incredible casting thing. Mm. Yeah, it's really something. So, yeah, we're dealing with sons and dads and children and daughters and dads and dads and dads. That's what we're dealing with. This is like a vintage Why Are Dads edition of You Are Good. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's about baseball. So, like, I challenge you to name a baseball movie without dad stuff (laughs) coming out of its ears. Can I just say, like, the really interesting, like, circle of life thing there is Burt Lancaster's last film was Field of Dreams. (gasps) 
which is a baseball movie about a man trying to reconnect with his father. Holy shit. So he's Moonlight Graham. And is he the doctor who used to be Archie? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I actually can't watch that. Or my wife is, he brought a league of their own. That movie is banned in my house because mm. I will cry. And it doesn't matter if I've, if it's the third yeah. time or the 10th time this summer that I've watched it. My wife is like, you only watch that movie when I'm not in the house because oh those God. two movies get me in like very like specific ways. But bad news bears does it. It doesn't like have me crying, but I'm like, Baseball movies, man. But it's speaking to a lot of the same stuff. Why baseball? I think for me personally, I understand like it is legitimately like the only closeness I had to any father figures was baseball because there's all this when you watch baseball with somebody, Mm. it's a lot of quiet time. And I was never a quiet person. So I think understanding that I had to really focus in on the quietness of the game like just sort of was like, oh, I'm really having a moment with my dad or my grandfather here. And it's just I don't know. It's just this thing. And uh, yeah, it's not my favorite sport, but I get the deepness of it for some people. Mm. Right. Like, I feel like it's harder. You can't really have those moments when you're watching a hockey game, can you? No, it's like <laughs> constant stuff. Things are happening yeah. in hockey all the time. You're like, so another thing. I Oh, that guy's getting slammed <laughs> into the boards again. OK, let's watch that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that this movie is like, I mean, it's a, it's a very simple in concept. And I was, <laughs> I was surprised. So the ending shot of this movie is the picture that's taken of the team with the credits rolling. And Buttermaker is holding a cigar in one hand and he's holding Lupus's hand in the other. Like he's holding his hand. However... Do you think that could be Amanda? Oh my God, is it Amanda? Because I was like, what if that's Amanda? Yeah, that is actually, wow, that changes everything. It would be hard to tell because like Stranger Things, all these kids look like a variant of the other kid. Exactly. Oh my God, it's so true. Because especially Tanner and Lupus, which is confusing because one is the kid who no one wants to play and one is the absolute... The loud racist. Yes. The toehead Joe Pesci. Um, Yeah, I... (laughs) Whoever's hand is being held, it undid me. Like, I saw that and started yeah. crying, explaining it to my wife, to Carolyn, bawling, actually, like explaining it to Carolyn, because I love the growth that does happen in the last half hour of this movie, where all of these kids need a dad. Yeah. All of these kids need some dad, or they need some help in one way or another. And he finally realizes his role in that. And to the points that we brought up earlier, it's not like a big... I've realized the error of my ways. I want to talk with you. It's it's the tiniest pivot when he realizes he's giving them shit and he's taking the joy out of the game and he sees it in all of their faces and he realizes that like he's hit his own low point and just is like, just go have a good time. It was hugely stirring for me. I love that a whole lot. Yeah. And I can't, I can't remember. Does that happen before or after Vic Morrow's character slaps his son, beats his son in front of everybody? I think it happens after because it's, the night it's the last inning because they can win and he's like oh no you know what i'm just gonna bomb the whole thing and put in the 
just everybody because this is a, a game. And to that point where that happens, where Vic Morrow hits his son because his son doesn't take his direction because his son actually like has some autonomy in his own home life. This whole piece where it's like we basically see the one for one result of like abusing your child, which is like they are then not going to do what you do want them to do. They're going to, in fact, do exactly the opposite of what you want them to do. And within their agency, destroy you a little bit. I really liked that a whole lot. <laughs> What what really messes me up is like when he slaps him, the kid's got his glasses on. You know, like the whole you don't hit a guy with glasses thing is like something. It's like a rule in in movies. You don't see it a lot. Mm -hmm. That makes it even more jarring Mm -hmm. to me. I had forgotten about that entire scene in watching it. And I really love how it's handled because it... He hits his kid. His kid sabotages their score by letting, you know, people take bases or letting people get home. Doesn't do anything. Just stands there. Doesn't do anything. <laughs> and then goes to his mom and his mom like walks him off the field, which I I don't know. It was a beautiful, a beautiful scene. And just like it yeah. was like beautiful watching also this piece where it's like this is happening because these two men are at each other's throats and creating this hostile environment for children and he's able to find like some refuge in his mom yeah i feel like it's the 1970s and you could probably be like this is a metaphor for the vietnam war (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a metaphor for inflation (laughs) yeah it could be a metaphor for anything i mean i'm obsessed with any sort of like late 60s into the 70s movies or books that sort of like look at like the American facade just sort of crumbling right in front of us. Mm -hmm. Something I think about all the time is Cheever's The Swimmer, both Mm -hmm. the short story Mm -hmm. and the film. And I think like in a lot of ways, that scene, it's Cheever-esque. It is Cheever-esque. Totally. Yeah. Can you say what The Swimmer is about for people who didn't get that assigned in high school? (laughs) I mean, I like to just say it's about the suburban American dream just kind of being a big lie, but it's about Nettie, a character who lives in somewhere in the, on, the, on the East Coast in a nice, white, affluent community. And he just decides to go from one house on this on this one side of town all the way back to his house by swimming in everybody's swimming pool. It's rich with metaphor, and I won't spoil the ending because it guts me just to think about it Mm. but it's just like to me it's like that is like the sort of peak just like it's all sort of a lie and you buy into Mm. it and sooner or later it's gonna just kind of fall apart for you and this movie does feature swimming pools prominently (laughs) right yeah it's to your point about like how this could be about vietnam like whatever it might be about it's most certainly about that period, particularly in like American cinema of being able to like reflect on the difference between like the facade and the reality. Hmm. I can't imagine, you know, like a Mighty Ducks-esque movie doing what this movie does, which is like, it like sets you up for like the big game. They're going to win the big game. They do not win the big game. And the shithead, well, I mean, actually, like to your point, the Cobra Kai piece, we do see this a little bit in the mid 80s, but like the adversarial coach hits his kid in front of everybody and everybody is just like fuck like i thought we were playing a game and they're just tense immediately 
I don't know. It just seems like it could be real. Yes. Yeah. It really does. Like giving kids beer is something I've seen dads do. My math teacher in the seventh grade was a quasi-functioning alcoholic farm league guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, he was this character. Like, I had I this, that. like, he wore, like, stained sweatpants, and, like, he was, like, very grizzly, and he was lovely. He just had a problem he couldn't quite shake, yeah. and he had this background. Like, I knew this guy for sure. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, like, a yuppie done right. It was, like, already a loser yeah. who, like, kind of pivots a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, he just like there's a little like slight tweak and it's just like, I I mean, it's like you don't really need his backstory, anything. You're like, well, he's a pool cleaner. That's what he's doing. You know, it's not like what he wants to be doing. I have a thing where it's like maybe because I knew so many jocks growing up that I love the failed athlete Mm. in a lot of ways. Like that's a trope that I sort of. I have to admit that I kind of get a chuckle out of more often than not. Well, don't you think that like a lot of people in their own way are failed athletes? Because when you're a kid, like you have all these giant little kid dreams. And at some point, everyone's going to become a ballerina or a pro ball player or, you know, something. So like there is inside of us this idea of like, I didn't make it, though, you know, that like maybe makes that easier to identify with. It's one of the only things from my childhood that I'm like, yo, I'm really glad I wasn't. My parents didn't really pump me up and be like, yeah, whatever, you can be whatever you want. They never told me that. And I'm very glad they didn't because it sucks to grow up with very little self-worth. But if you can uh, pick yourself up as you get older and like work on yourself and work your stuff out, you kind of kind of grow up with this idea like, oh, I've just got to keep working at things and find the things that I love and understand why I enjoy them, not necessarily be like, play sports, enjoy it, win. Mm -hmm. Maybe in that order, maybe not in that order, but just do those three Mm -hmm. things. And if you can't enjoy it, then definitely win. And definitely win at the most stuff possible, regardless of whether or not the process makes you miserable. Because the idea of like, oh, if Gordon Bombay learns to love you, then like, you'll suddenly be good at hockey. And like, that feels like very 90s magical thinking where like, no happy family is complete without a winner. And in the 70s, or at least in this movie, we're tapped into this ethos of like, I mean, I also like the fact that like Walter Matthau is not a good father figure, but he's doing his best Mm -hmm. and he has his like Flannery O'Connor-esque moment of grace when he decides (laughs) to put all his terrible players in so everyone can have a piece of it and it can remain a game and not a blood sport. But also like Vic Morrow is the really bad one. He's the one who has it together and doesn't (sighs) appear to be an alcoholic, or at least if he is, he's able to like cordon that off to different parts of his life, which certainly doesn't seem that unlikely now that I say it. But anyway, (laughs) he's like the high functioning bad dad in this. And I love how this movie is like, you know, the high functioning ones aren't better. And sometimes they're worse. And like Walter Matthau is like, he's going to throw beer at a little girl and tell him her to scram. But he's going to love you the best he can from his tiny, crumbling, beer-soaked heart. It's not what you need. It's sometimes something you need. It's not going to make you good at your sport. But it just is what it is. And sometimes it's possible for people to to grow a little bit in the moment and show up for kids in a way that they need, even if they can't do it at any other time. And like it's 
It's something. The end. But the way he says scram, like, like I can't even do it. It's like she's air bud. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> like Vic Morrow's consumed by taking this too seriously. And as a result, appears to be like a very serious and not, I mean, in his context, right? But like the most serious and important person with regard to like who's running these teams or whatever. But as a result of seeing him take it too seriously, we see the way that it like breaks him and breaks the children. And I think it's like easy to look at, you know, how the bears respond when they're like, well, let's give the team a cheer at the end. And they do their cheer. And then the little sort of racist kid tells them to shove it up their ass or whatever. You know, it's like, it's, one could suggest that they're the poorly behaved ones, but it's like, no, like not the kids on the opposite team, but the opposite teams run like a little fascist empire. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's gross too. It's all going to keep connecting back to like Gen X kind of stuff. But like I watched when Fiona Apple said the whole like oh, this yeah. world is bullshit thing. And I remember being a kid and being like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, cool. I'm glad somebody said it. Yeah, totally. Everything that I understood came from either the, the books I read or the TV I watched hmm. or the music I listened to. So it was like, I had already kind of thought that in my head. And I remember somebody saying it. And mm-hmm. that's sort of what this movie mm. really just kind of hammers home. And in the best way, in like a very sweet way, like there's different levels of BS. I think like there should be fun BS. And when you try to like remove the fun from it, it's just BS. I really liked the, what is the, I don't know what the character's name is, but the actor whose last name is Piazza, the guy who assembles this whole thing. Yeah, the assembly, yeah, yeah. We see his office at some point, which is really interesting. And he's got two Kennedy pictures and a picture of Martin Luther King. MLK, yeah. People don't fully realize that MLK wasn't broadly loved by white folks until much later after this. So we get the assumption that this person is, you know, like progressively minded or whatever, and then buys too intensely into the competition when it gets too close to like the winning place and abandons all of his whatever his projected suggested ethos is and he's just like why are we going to put in lupus like he's not good for the team we're going to lose can't we just look beyond it at this one time and it's like really interesting to see what happens to people's ideals Mm -hmm. when they get close to winning yes just like you're kind of like wishy-washy liberal to score points sort of political guy Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about that a lot like i'm like why did he sue? <laughs> and then I was like, oh my God, it was obviously like a political thing. That kind of whole, puts a whole new light on that guy. <laughs> totally. The only adult character besides Buttermaker whose motives I don't really think much about is, um, oh my God, I think she's like the equipment, the league manager. Yes. Oh yeah. I think she has like a the hots for Vic Morrow. Oh yeah. Miss Carol. Yeah, maybe there was a piece that was taken out because like, yes, we know she takes this very, very seriously. Like she watched Vic hit the kid and five minutes later is like, we're doing great in this game. Like it doesn't like that clearly didn't affect her in any way. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is just totally off the Vic Morrow is weirdly attractive in this movie. Super hot. I don't get it. I'm like, what is this? Like, he's just a good looking guy. Yeah, I can't think of him without feeling bad because of his death. The, the Twilight Zone tragedy. Yeah, but it's like, it's like really weird. Like, I'm like, he really owns that role is like just sort of this like dick swaggering 1970s, like probably the hottest shit in the suburbs. All the <laughs> oh, wives yeah. want him over at the at the key party. He's like Phil Hartman and Jingle All the Way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. 
<laughs> he's going to eat your cookies. Yeah. To the point of like the pieces. So like there are a couple of pieces that, again, I think like you make this today, it doesn't work. One that I'm not going to say it's necessarily a joke, but there is a joke with these two kids that don't speak English. They speak Spanish and no one addresses them. Like there's no like dialogue. They're just like, my dad said that these kids are Mexican. They don't speak English. Like that doesn't really ever pay off. That's just the case. They're just always speaking Spanish. That's all yeah. that we know about them. And then the kid who's I don't know the kids, the young kid who we keep referring to, the Joe Pesci kid. Tanner. Tanner. At least on two occasions, I think that he runs the gamut of the racial epithets. Three, because he does it twice. And then again, when Tatum O'Neill joins. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because now there's a woman. So again, it's like jarring watching it now. But I grew up in the 80s where like there was at least that one kid among white kids, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, in every group. Mm-hmm. who just like said shit and you were like, what the, f-? like who seemed deranged a little bit. And you were like, what the fuck are you saying? But like, that was a kid that existed. And I I don't know if it existed because this movie existed or just, it seems like white people have a, a history of being racist from before the mid seventies. So I assume <laughs> heard. it's related. I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, but then it like gives way. Then like you look into the aughts and you have all this like, hipster racism yes that it'd be like if you go to some bar in williamsburg in like 2009 there's some guy who's probably like i'm just gonna say this because it sounds funny and he like probably says like exactly what tanner says right 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 right. yeah i was watching south park oh god because i was on jet blue (laughs) yesterday and it was a really early episode where they go to the world dodgeball championships and i was like oh i like the early episodes because i was like i watched south park when i was like nine um and i really loved it and then it goes into this like just very broad like 1940s looney tunes kind of like depiction of chinese people and i was like should this be on tv you know it's just like i don't there's a difference between censorship and something from the very recent past being grandfathered in that you're like oh this does not feel good this is really something there's just sort of this like acceptance and like sort of, I don't even want to call it like casual nihilism because mm-hmm. at least yeah. nihilism, I feel like there's sort of some thought behind it. And this is where we are today with this whole, I want to be able to say whatever I want for the sake of saying whatever I want thing. And I, I just, I hate that. And I think like a movie like this, you're kind of like led to wonder like, why does this kid say these mm-hmm. things? I don't think he feels these right. things. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the whole, like, I don't think you're born racist. He's also, he's countered on them too by his team, which is interesting. Like that's the thing that people might right. leave out is like, he's he's not just like left to say it. And they're like, Oh, that guy. They're like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like the like, one oh. smart kid, like challenges him right. like, at one point. And like, you know, you have to think about the broader, like he picked this up at home. Right. Probably that kid, especially that's the thing. It's like, that's kind of lost. When you're just Mm -hmm. like, you know, I should be able to say this about black people or this about gay people or this about women. It's like, no. Well, on WTF, like I think yes, a couple of days ago, he had Greg Proops on and they were talking. That's a name I've not heard in a long time. The question was, he's like, Marin asked Proops, he's like, did we lose like as like the alternative sort of thinky comics? Did we end up losing? And they had an interesting conversation about that as a result. And like Marin ultimately, it was one of the two basically said something along the lines of like, a lot of people confuse this thing that stemmed from like the free speech movement as 
important now when there are none of the limitations that existed then around like what you say. Yeah. So like that was what it was about. They confuse that mm-hmm. with being able to like essentially not ever having to read the room or be polite in the mm-hmm. company that you're in or like considerate in the company that you're in. That's great. That like you sort of share space with people as a person who lives in a society. <laughs> I mean, talk to Lenny Bruce about cancel culture, right? Totally. Yeah. Well, talk to people where there were like actual stakes. Yes. And not just like people will tell me that I shouldn't say a thing sometimes. I mean, like I can say the word cocksucker and not get arrested. Like the war has been won, essentially. Mm, Right. You know, something like this, if you think about it a little bit more, why this kid is saying these words, you're like, God, this opens up a whole new thing about this movie. And that's smart. He's not just saying it for comic effect. A little kid swearing is funny, but a little kid saying like horribly racist and misogynistic Mm -hmm. stuff. You're like, there's a reason for this. They're not explaining why, but there is a reason. We also don't know why Lupus knows how to make the perfect martini, but he does. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you know, and you also don't get the sense that like either of those are like aspirational characters. No, this is like, oh, what are your parents like? Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed that my realizations around these things took a little bit longer. But like, really, for me, it was like the Christopher Hitchens turn. Yeah. Was I was like, oh, like this is kind of a gateway into becoming a right wing asshole. Irony isn't going to liberate us like this. is. (laughs) Although respect, though, to the fact that he allowed himself to be waterboarded for research. That's very something. I do appreciate that. And then he died. And then he died. (laughs) People just want to say things to get people Mm -hmm. to react now. And it's like, to me, it's it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Everything is bullshit. Like, it's all bullshit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because they're lonely little babies and they need attention and they're all alone. And they need the Substack money and they need. You're right. That's the thing. It's like Hitchens would have made a killing on Substack. That's the totally. God. (laughs) Words hurt. Mm. You just got to be, you know, mindful that so many people are just jumping on the worst possible conversations to be having and having not even opinions. They're just saying things, it feels like to me. Right. And also this idea of like, who did it ever hurt to blow up public sentiment for a silver tongued public speaker who's adept at whipping crowds into anger and fear like what's what's the nothing bad ever came of that it's fine it's just a hobby so speaking about people who drum up like anti-trans kid hatred to get substack support supporters (laughs) i like that this i mean this is obviously not as deep a dive in this movie but like i like that tatum o'neill just joins the team and with the exception of that kid being loudmouth about being like and now a woman no conversation about it no adult cares no one's like hey she can't join the boys team there's just a woman on our team now yeah yeah Yeah. whatever and then they're like well we don't wear cups if amanda doesn't have to wear a cup oh my god all of the things that he ends up doing you know it's like i just watched this video of mike myers talking about like the importance of silly Mm. and he was like there were like two basically like anti-nuke movies in the 60s and one is a movie whose name i can't remember and the other one is dr strangelove and he's like we remember dr strangelove you know it's a a masterpiece in all the ways it is but like Mm -hmm. in large part because it's silly yes right and walter matthew's character in this takes at least six inherently progressive stances that will become progressive expectations over the course of the next handful of decades without it 
being a like I like, took the right stance. Like he does it. It's a part of a comedy. And he ends up illustrating it's like kind of like the nine to five utopia right it's like they illustrate all of these things all of these like best practices in this movie and the way that they get away with it is like they never sort of comment on it and it's a lot of fun to watch but also like walter Matthau and to like there's like other guys who i i'm trying to like th- like roddy dangerfield i i love roddy dangerfield in um Caddyshack, obviously, because I'm a, a human being. And I mean, I love, you know, like Bill Murray's characters in the 80s, the same thing. All these guys who don't look a certain way, who if you're a, a Jewish guy, even if you're a white Jewish guy, you're still vaguely ethnic. You watch any movie from like Chicago, the Chicagoland area in the 80s, and they use the term bohunk all the time. Mm. That's like, you know, a bohemian German. So like there was sort of still this idea of like, the vaguely ethnic blue collar slob who, if you grow up around those people, like I did, you know, the beautiful thing about those guys, they just know how to cut corners just enough, you know, not cheat, but just how to be like, Hey, I don't have this stuff. So I'm going to figure out a way to make sure that I do okay. And I get the end result that I want. And he gets the most janky ass team of kids, makes a few slight tweaks finds the most terrifying 11 year old of all time (laughs) and gets his ex-girlfriend's daughter who once again is Tatum O'Neill selling maps on the side of the road in California. It works because Hmm. I like those kinds of movies that sort of give them the sort of like the spotlight. Like they're not doing it well, they're not making it look glamorous. They're just doing it. Because it seems like I'm sure, you know, millions of words have been written about this in the past few years. How like, why do we have all these grifter narratives? Well, it's because we're a nation of grifters or national characters grifting. We just had a grifter president, et cetera. Like the sort of personification of America is the grifter. But I think there's also a flip side of that or kind of a spectrum of that where also we have so many grifters. Yeah, for a lot of reasons, including the racist concept of manifest destiny and the sort of grift of white supremacy as a way of organizing society and your own beliefs. But also, like America produces a lot of survivors because it's a very rough place to exist. And I think that Mm. that is maybe the side that it makes more sense to look at now and kind of celebrate the evolution and innovation of, honestly. That's the flip side to what I was saying earlier about my obsession with like the facade Mm. of America is the people. Yeah. Most of the time, I mean everything in America that's that I like comes from people who just were like this is what I've got, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to make and this is how I'm going to survive and you know people talk about like oh American ingenuity and and all these like like Ford and and yeah. Carnegie and blah 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 but I'm like famous racists who stole ideas yeah. <laughs> and killed people yes. and like literally like you know Obviously, this is a fictional movie we're talking about, but who knows what Morris Buttermaker putting those kids in at the end of the game might have accomplished in real life. It might have like that could have changed them. It's a little thing that I find so sweet and beautiful. And if I have any shred of hope left in this country, which I I don't have much left, but it's that it's always going to be this place where people are just figuring out a way to like keep going about their lives and living and just sooner or later, some rich guy is going to figure out how to make money off of it and um, ruin it. I mean, baseball is literally an example of that. Right. Baseball was a sport played by workers. 
in, in New York in the like what, early 1800s. And now it's this multi, multi, multi-billion dollar international game that is losing its young audience because it's so boring. So there are a lot of factory workers whose heirs are owed checks as well. So that's a thought. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. So we know that Vic Morrow is a father mm-hmm. in this movie. Who, Sarah, you should kick us off. Mm-hmm. Who is the daddy, as far as you're concerned? (laughs) Mm. So I have two nominees. It's Tatum O'Neill, who's just, as we discussed, fantastic in this. And, I don't know, shows up as also a kind of character that you just don't see very much. Who's a tween girl who just is, like, rough around the edges and stands up to and goes toe-to-toe with her, like, belligerent father figure, which... I appreciate because that was me. Like you always see these girls with like overprotective dads or dads who are like either they're like full on evil or they're, you know, Bob Saget. And I like having someone right in the middle part that I recognize of just like really kind of not someone you would necessarily want to entrust a child to. And yet like certainly <laughs> capable of moments and and quite funny <laughs> and just kind of seeing her play that and play this character who just you get such a sense of her inner life, I think, is really wonderful. And she gives dignity to that really difficult age when you're waiting on your first bra. <laughs> and then also to that pizza, which I want to recreate. It's a pizza made to look like a baseball diamond, and it looks fantastic. <laughs> it's got little baseball guys on it, too. <laughs> Jason, what's your take? I mean, I will say Tatum. And, you know, going back to what, what, what you said about, like, you know, the androgyny between her and um, Kelly the Harley Davidson cigarette smoking kid. Kelly Leaks. She's not a tomboy. She just plays baseball. What a concept. Yeah. Because when she's not playing baseball, <laughs> she's in a dress. It's like, that's, I find that really interesting and uh, I like that. But I'm going to say I am utterly fascinated with Kelly. I've brought him up a dozen times now. I don't know how he got that little Harley Davidson. I love that he's schooling people. A guy owed him a bunch of money, I bet. He had a Harley. <laughs> yeah, at air hockey. He's like ripping people off. At, he's a, an air hockey shark. <laughs> like he's obviously got his thing and it works for him. And then all of a sudden we find out he's the best athlete in town. That's pretty cool. Like you're not a jock. You're just some dirt bag, like the king of the dirt bags. And you obviously could do any like you're just like the Ubermensch. Like you're like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how everyone knows you're that good of an athlete. I don't know where things went wrong for you or where things went right. But I just really appreciate that. Alex. I like Ahmed. Oh, yeah. Who, who again, like I maybe could have dealt with a handful of other lines in this movie. It could have been a good thing. I relate in a really big way to this character. Not in that I was good at baseball because I was not. You know, he's carrying the baggage of him being good, but not performing well in his first couple of games and worrying about like what his parents and siblings are ultimately going to think about him. And I like how he solves it by climbing a tree and just sitting in the tree. Does he take off all of his clothes? clothes yeah he takes off all of his clothes it's so good sometimes you gotta take off all your clothes and climb a tree alex yeah he has a really spectacular anxiety response to it which is he strips his clothes and climbs a tree and i like that he just sort of is like carrying that weight and baggage around and i love i want to give walter Matthau a nod that's kind of what i loved this character you know the buttermaker character for the first time is he gets in the tree yes he gets immediately at ahmed's level and tries to relate in a really nice way, in a way where we kind of see his glimmer 
a glimmer of like what he will become later. And like various levels of my life, I knew parents who made success or lack of success in sports a precarious endeavor for their children. And you see that happen through this kid. And I I just wanted to acknowledge and appreciate what he was going through. But then similarly, I just want to say, I like the Buttermaker got in the tree and we could see a glimmer of who he would become later. <laughs> Aww. That's the save the cat moment, which is yeah. appropriate because the kid's in the tree. It is. <laughs> so I just like, I just like, honestly, like I, I have to watch a, a multiple Walter Matthau movies a year. And in this movie, he just kind of, he really does do something good for those kids. And it's, I don't think he cares, <laughs> which is what I love. And this has come up a handful of times, but I read Mike Nichols' biography last year. Oh, yeah. Walter yeah. Matthau, like, was seemingly pretty close to the Buttermaker character, like, and maybe less likable. You know, he would, like, disappear on vendors. He was, like... I think intensely homophobic against Art Carney. Mm. He was well, accomplished, yeah. but also difficult. That never happens. And I don't find that particularly surprising. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't like him in person, but his his roles really, uh, I just appreciate them a, a good deal. Like The Odd Couple, New Leaf, and, and, and Bad News Bears. Yeah. For sure. He, he looks good in yellow. That's <laughs> one thing we can say about him. Yeah. Oh, my God. That top. Oh. Incredible. <laughs> Jason, how can people find you? They shouldn't. <laughs> you don't no, you don't want to. You don't want to leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm all over the place. I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. I am. I'm Jason Diamond. GQ. You know, you just find me around wandering, mumbling to myself. <laughs> Holding a different brand of beer can each time. Yeah. And just cleaning your pool, even if you didn't ask me to, with my ex-girlfriend's 11-year-old who I taught to pitch. Driving around your convertible with 12 children crammed into it. <laughs> but what about after tomorrow? After tomorrow, we do what all ball players do. We shake hands till we see each other next season. Then we go fishing or hunting. Make some personal appearances, get to know the wife and kids again. I could help you with your pools. Will you cut it out, Amanda? No, it wouldn't be like you're taking me anywhere. It'd be like work. You could use the help. No, I couldn't. And besides, you shouldn't be wasting your time cleaning pools. Look, Amanda, you're a terrific kid. You shouldn't be hanging around with me. I mean, I'm an old, broken-down, third-rate ball player. I like to drink too much. I like to smoke my cigars without anybody bothering me, including you. I'm happy that way. I'm a bum. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good. Thank you so much to Jason for joining us. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode. Of course, thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this week's episode. We appreciate all of you. Thanks so much for everything you do. Thanks to Fresh Lash for producing the beats to the show and making the transition sound so nice. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for making the show uh, something that we can do as part of our work. We appreciate appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And again, uh, we'll be doing another live stream at some point in the future. So if you want to participate in that, the Patreon is there for you to uh, participate in. 
We have social media at Twitter and Instagram at YouAreGoodPod. Next week, I believe we're covering my girl. (laughs) So tune in for that. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Pretty big summer movie. Pretty big feels a movie for many. All right, everybody. You are good. Thank you for being here with us.